0: Alright, well hello everybody. We are pumped to have you guys all back in this room packing out this fellowship hall. Man, over break. Started to miss this lovely place. We uh, love meeting in the basement of this church, and guys, we are The Salt Company. Um, and if this is your first time, I want to invite you to The Salt Company. And What we are about here is that we are passionate about making much of Jesus, and so what we do on a weekly basis is that we gather in this fellowship hall, we worship him through song, but then we also sit under the teaching of his word because we believe it has the power to change lives. And so we want to do that again. And then we go out from here and we live lives with one another in connection groups, which is where we learn what does it look like to follow Jesus together. And then we seek to change the campus for the greater glory of Jesus. And today we're gonna be kicking off a habits message, a series of sermons where we're gonna walk through and look at the life of Jesus and ask the question, what does it look like for us to begin to live similar to how Jesus lived? We look at his pattern of life and we say we want to mirror it as well. Am I still getting feedback? We're good? Okay, golden. So now we're going to look at the life of Jesus, and uh, the, what I want to do is that we're going to kick this off with worship, because when we look at the life of Jesus, everything starts out with worship. That is what all of these habits that we want to do stem from themselves, and so when we look at the life of Jesus, we know that he has a couple things to tell us about worship. And we want everyone in this room to experience the beauty of Christ and then to go out and, and share that with others as well. And that's why we spent this whole week on campus, inviting people out, dishing out, I don't know how many flyers, people probably had four or five by the end of the week, dishing out endless hot chocolate and coffee, going to bowling, doing other things like a pancake party, because we ultimately want you to come and experience the glory of Jesus, that is why we did all those things, and while we were out and about, there was one thing that I noticed that was consistent amongst all college students, and that one thing is that all college students were heading to classes, which you, you might say, hey, that makes sense. And I do understand from my own experience in college that that isn't always the case, you know? You might miss a couple throughout the semester, but from beginning to end of the semester, hopefully you go to at least one class. And in that time, you might be going to different classes. Some of you might be going to physics, bless your heart with that. Some of you might be going to some marketing classes, entrepreneurship, but you're all going to classes. And the thing that I want us to see tonight, what I want to draw your eyes in to see, is that in a similar way, all human beings worship something. That it it might be something different that you might be worshiping over someone else, but all of us have this in our heart that we worship something. And so that's our big idea tonight, is that we all worship something. And the question isn't, are you someone who worships? But rather, what are you worshiping with your life? And is it providing for you what you hoped it would? And so we're going to open up to John 4, which if you don't have a Bible, feel free. I believe there's some under the seats around you. Um, Open up to page 518 in that Bible. If you brought your own, it's definitely not going to be that page. Um, But if you don't have a Bible... Feel free to take that home with you. That is our gift. We see that the Bible is the center of all that we do, the authority and what gives us life. And so we want you to walk home with that and cherish that. But as we look at the story of John 4, we're going to look at Jesus addressing some woman at a well and addressing this idea of worship. And so Jesus, walking from Jerusalem to Judea, has to pass through this town of Samaria And while he's doing that, he stumbles upon this well where there's a woman sitting there. But the interesting thing is that this well is actually that he comes upon this well at midday. And why is that significant? Because it tells us something about this woman that he's about to meet. So first off, we have to know that the Samaritans and the Jewish race do not intermix. Like, apparently, the worst thing that you could call a Jewish man was a Samaritan. Like, that was how much they clashed. And even though the quickest route from Jerusalem to Judea was to go through Samaria, some people would take a detour around it so that you would not run into the Samaritans. And so she's a Samaritan, but she's also a servant woman in Samaria. So she has a lower status and a lower position in society. But even more than that, she is coming here in the middle of the day. And that is significant because it is the hottest part of the day. And everyone else, every other servant that comes out to get water at this well goes in the early morning where there's no sun, where there isn't the scorching heat, so that they don't have to walk out in that heat. And so she is coming in the middle of the day, at the hottest point of the day, because she, there's a lot of brokenness in her life that she doesn't want to deal with the guilt and the shame that was being experienced from everyone else in Samaria or the other girls that would walk to this well. So she chooses the time in the day where no one else goes so that she can walk in some form of peace. And so she's a Samaritan, she's a servant, but she's also an outcast in her society, and that is the woman... That Jesus runs into. And our first point of the night is that we all long to be satisfied. So if you want to look now at John 4, we're going to start in verse 7. And it says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Give me a drink of water. And he receives a little bit of pushback from her. And then he says, if you knew who was asking you this, you would be returning the question, asking for water from me. It's like if LeBron James came up to me and said, Hey, Drake, give me a basketball lesson. I'd be like, what in the world are you talking? Like, no, you need to teach me these things. And so Jesus is saying, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for living water. Why? Why? Because Jesus is going to reveal to us that he himself is the source of living water. He takes it a step further to say that this living water will make it so that you are never thirsty again. And this well that you're coming to, you're going to have to come back tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Because though it temporarily quenches your thirst, you find yourself thirsty again coming back. So what does he mean? So Jesus is comparing this idea of water with finding satisfaction in this life, which is something that in our hearts we all long for. And so he's saying that there are ways to try to find satisfaction in this world that will only have you seeking it more and more and more and on this never-ending journey to find satisfaction. Or he says, you can come to me where I provide you living water that will make it so that you will never be thirsty again. That you will always have access to this source of living water that you can come to. But, as Jesus is explaining this, this girl doesn't really make that connection. She still thinks he's talking about water. And so she's like, you don't, you don't really have a bucket. Like, how are you supposed to get this water And I come to this well all the time, and there's nothing special about it. I mean, it's great, but it isn't this living water that you talk about. And so she's not really connecting it. But once Jesus says that you will never be thirsty again, it strikes a chord with her. Because she knows that Jesus is offering something for her that is far greater than what she is currently experiencing. She's looking at her current life and seeing the brokenness that is existing in her life and saying that this is not how it's meant to be. And so when Jesus says that he offers satisfaction, she longs for what he offers. And so for all of us, when Jesus speaks about this, he speaks to a part of our heart that we all in this room know to be true. That there are areas of our life that aren't as they're meant to be. Like we look at possessions that we acquire that lose their appeal after a couple weeks. We look at trips, these amazing trips that we go on time and time again, and right when we're done, all we are thinking about is the next one that we get to go on. We look at achievements that we accomplish, whether in the school or whether in sports, and we We immediately find someone who's achieved more than us that gives us another marker to go after. Or we look at relationships that we bring into our lives that still give us this feeling of emptiness or we post things online that never get the response that we want them to. All of these leading us to want more and more with our life. And so when Jesus says that he has the ability to make it so that we are completely satisfied in him, we long for that as well. When Jesus says that you can be completely satisfied in me, we lean in and we are eager to hear what he has to say because the only explanation for us to be a people that longs to be satisfied is that we were made as people to be satisfied. That, we were, that our hearts were wired in such a way that we were made to be satisfied, that there are parts of this world that aren't as they should be. We shouldn't be running after things time and time again that don't measure up, that don't satisfy us like we want them to. And so for, for Christmas, I got a new pair of gloves that I'm very passionate about. And if you're around me enough, you'll probably hear about them. But I tested them out for the first time this past week in some cross-country skiing. Well, that, that's a whole nother conversation. But when I was looking into these gloves, the videos about them, I mean, their marketing team was amazing because they sold me, but they were talking about how incredibly warm your hands are going to be in these gloves. So I got them. I got to prepare for these Minnesota winters. And which I will say, they did keep my hands incredibly warm. But um, the most frustrating thing that could have happened is if I would have gone out cross-country skiing in these gloves, and the entire time my hands were freezing cold. That would have been so frustrating. Why? Because these gloves were made to keep my hands warm, and yet they were doing the opposite of that. Just like us as human beings, we were all made to be satisfied, so it makes sense that we are restless or that we are frustrated, that we are not satisfied with the life that we are currently living. We know in and of our hearts That that is not how it's meant to be because we weren't made for that. But here's the issue. Everything that we choose to run after in this world will lead to that end. Will lead to us not being satisfied. Will lead to us saying, what's the next thing and the next thing? What's the next position? What's the next thing I can have in my life that time and time again will not satisfy our deepest longings? And so Jesus is wanting to kind of just break through this water analogy because she's not getting it. So he's, he's wanting to like take it to a step further because it's not just about her coming to this well to get water. It is about what she is worshiping with her heart. And so our second point is that we worship hopeless things. So verse 16, if you want to look down, continue to follow along. Jesus said to her, Co- go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you are you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And so where it seems that Jesus comes out strong, calls her out a little bit, he actually comes in a very non-threatening, loving way. And he's pressing into her life. One of the most secret parts of her life In order to love her more. So he begins with this statement of, bring your husband to me. And right away, she just answers quickly, I have no husband, tries to move on and continue on with her day. And so she's truthful in her statement, but she's also keeping him out of the most painful part of her life. But she doesn't know that she's talking to the dude that made the universe, that that made her, that knows everything about her. And so he draws out her story a little bit, one that began with a longing for belonging, a longing to be in a relationship, a longing for love, but then quickly went in the opposite direction where this longing that never satisfied her led her to have an adultery and then another adultery, which led to her having five marriages broken off, which led to her now Being with a guy and sleeping with him that's not her husband and what has led to her to being this outcast in the society causing her to be at the well at this time of the day. Continually seeking that her desires would be satisfied. And so again, this began with a very good longing. She wanted intimacy. She wanted friendship but it led in the completely opposite direction. She experienced immorality, broken relationships, and shame. Why were these relationships not able to satisfy her soul? Why are the things of this world unable to satisfy the deepest longings that exist in every single one of us in this room? I wanna read Jeremiah 2, 12 through 13. Don't feel like you need to turn there. We'll have it on the screen. And she says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God is saying that my people, who I made in my image, who I made to worship me, have left me, who is the fountain of life that is unending and ever-pouring for them to experience. They have left me. And they began to hew out for themselves cisterns. I think that's the present form of hewed. Um, So they began to make these cisterns. What's a cistern? What they would do is they would basically build these more kind of shallow wells throughout this desert-like condition with the hopes that it would begin to gather water in these wells. But God is saying there's one huge issue. These cisterns are cracked and there's no ability for them to hold any water. And so imagine that you are in these desert-like conditions and we've all experienced to a degree what being thirsty is like, but to a greater degree, imagine you're going days in a desert without a drink of water and the only thing that you can think about is if you could get one drop of water to hit your tongue to temporarily satisfy your thirst. And so you look at the cistern and you see that there's a small pool of water sitting in it. And excitement fills up your heart as you're thinking, I am going to satisfy my thirst. And you kneel down, cupping your hands to grab this water. And as soon as you get to the surface of the water, it goes through the cracks and into the earth. And then you see another cistern that has a little pool. And again, you get excited as you hope that it's going to be able to satisfy your thirst. So you get down again, cup your hands, and yet again, it seeps through the cracks and goes into the earth because it is broken. Can you imagine how deflating that would be in that moment? And what God is trying to show us is that our pursuit of anything in this world to find hope and to find satisfaction. It's going to be exactly like that. To this Samaritan woman, she has turned away from the source of living water that is God himself, and she is making this broken cistern for herself called a relationship, hoping that it would satisfy the deepest longings of her soul, and it began with excitement that this might be able to fulfill my greatest longings. But as she got closer, she realized that it had no ability to fulfill the longings that were in her heart. It had no ability to satisfy that thirst that was in her soul like she thought. And we, just like her, do that all the time. We have this longing to be satisfied and so we fix our eyes on one thing that we feel like is going to satisfy our life completely. If we had this one thing, then my life would be great. And we begin to worship that. And so we might sacrifice our life at the altar of a career and invest all of our time into it, but what we get in return is the demand to spend more and more and more time studying so that you get the best internship, so you get the best job. But once you get that job, you pour in more and more of your time in order to do well in your career. And then once you get that job, you're only thinking about what's the next position? What's the next position? What's the next position? Until we die. And this does not provide the joyful life or the satisfying life that we long for it to do. Maybe for you, it's a relationship as well. Like once I find this one person, then my life will be fulfilled. Like God, I don't care what else you do. I don't care if I have a job after college. I don't care about how my grades are, but I want you to provide the person of my dreams. And then we meet that person and we realize they're as broken as we are and that they have no ability to satisfy those longings or if we don't meet them in the time span that we want, we look to God. We dare to look at God and say, do you even love me for not providing for me what I want the most? When in reality, it is us that has forsaken God and turned to something else and said, you are the only thing that can satisfy my life, not you, God. Or maybe for some of you in here, it's just you wanted to find a group of people to fit in with when you got to college, a rightful longing for community. But all you experienced was the endless pressure to measure, measure up and to put on this front that's not really you. And you're supposed to act in a certain way to fit in with these people and you try and try and try, but you find yourself left on the outside. That might be the story for some of you in this place. You're at a spot where you're like, man, I I can feel that my life isn't satisfied, but I know that there are people in here who you look at your life right now and you look at your future and you see all the hope in the world. You see a career path, you see a relationship, you see a lot of hope to satisfy your life with a good, merry life here on this earth but for those of you who are focusing on your career or the guy or girl that you're gonna chase after or spending a fun four years in college, partying it up on the weekends, you are in a similar spot that this woman was on her first marriage where you are running after this, these things with all the hope in the world that they're going to be able to satisfy your heart, not knowing that they are broken cisterns that have no ability To satisfy what's going on in your heart. To satisfy the deepest longings in your soul. And so in this idea of our heart being made for worship, C.S. Lewis has this quote that I just love. He says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That if there are in me longings that I cannot find the answer to in this world, that means we are made for so much more than that. And that is exactly what Jesus is coming to this woman at the well to do. It's to draw her eyes, to draw all of our eyes back to the source of living water that we would come to him because he alone can satisfy those longings within our heart. But then we ask, how can we... Who have so willingly forsaken God be brought back into relationship with him how can we who have gone off and worshiped centered our heart on different things come back to God and earn our way back to him to find this source of life we're going to look at point three where it says that Jesus rewires our worship verse 19 look back at John 4 the woman said to him sir I perceive that you are a prophet To worship him, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And so right away, it looks like this woman is just trying to divert conversation. She starts talking about a mountain. She starts talking about Jerusalem. Let's get off this topic of my life. But what she's honestly doing is she's saying, like, how do I worship this God? Because there's some people that say that you go on this mountain. Some people say it's in Jerusalem that you worship. Like, what does it look like for me to worship you and to to commune with God again? And Jesus says that it is no longer based on where you do it. It's no longer based on going to a certain church or going to salt company. But it's about worshiping in spirit and truth. That when people see that the true reason that Jesus came was to redeem them from their sins and that he is the only true way back into relationship with God, when they trust that truth, it will cause their worship to be set on fire for God again. To come back to the source of living water. And Jesus reveals that he is the Savior. And what is her response? She runs immediately back to her town. She doesn't even bring her water jar. The very thing she came to do, she just bolts. And she goes and tells everybody, this man knew everything that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? A girl that tried to hide every part of her life is now proclaiming it to the town in confidence, saying that this man knew everything I did. Could he be the Savior? And she's only able to do this because she ran into the Savior of the world that Jesus, who knew her completely, was able to love her and approach her in this way because he knew he came to this earth to save broken people just like her, broken people just like us in this room. And so when we have realized in our heart that we've been running after and pursuing after hopeless things of this world and then we, we turn and say, Jesus, no, I need you as my Savior. I need you to come into my life. I need you to save me. That is when we are brought back into worship with him. And the only way that Jesus was able to rewire that worship within our heart is that he had to pay the penalty for all of the ways that we worshiped other things on this earth, all the ways that we said, no, God, you're not enough for me. I'm pursuing after these things because God could not just sweep that under the rug. For him to be just, he had to pay the penalty for all of our wrongdoings, for all of our brokenness. And so Jesus came to walk on this world for the sole purpose of ending his life nailed to a wooden cross where he would experience the full wrath of his father being poured out upon him. Though we are the ones who chose to forsake God, It's Jesus who's on the cross that says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says the words that we deserve to say because of our own wrongdoings, because of our own worship and pursuit of other things in him. And then he rose from the grave and he defeated the, the penalty of death on our behalf and he gifts us his perfection. He gifts us himself. The very thing we were made to worship, he brings us back into relationship with him. And it's not just that he brings us back to the fountain of living water, but Jesus says, I'm going to enter into your heart. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be within your heart, a fountain of living water that's welling up always so that you always have access to life. That is what Jesus freely welcomes you into. Jesus wants to redirect our worship to the only place in this life that we can actually be satisfied. All you have to do is come to Jesus and acknowledge that you need him as a savior of your life. That you are broken. That you have sin in your life. That you have things that you have fallen short of. That you're not perfect. And he will welcome you back into his family. Imagine a world where we are a people that's that's no longer crippled by fear. Imagine a people where we are no longer filled with anxiety of what our future holds. Imagine where we are no longer trying with everything in us to hide the broken aspects of our life, the flaws that we don't want anyone else to see, but instead we are running to Jesus because we know that we are completely satisfied in him that he looked at all of our brokenness and says, even though I know you completely, I'm still going to come and die for you, to welcome you back in. This is the hope that he has for us. In Revelation 7, again, you can look to the screens. It says, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the glimpse of what we will experience for all of eternity, that we will be with God. I love the heart of God in that, that literally All of the tears, all of the brokenness that we felt, God, one by one, is just going to wipe those away from our eyes and welcome us into this perfect relationship with Him. That is the future that we have, but it's also the the blessings that we get to begin experiencing now. That we have Christ inside of us, so we will always have access to this life. And it doesn't mean that life's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be difficulty. It doesn't mean that we aren't going to be tempted to go back to those cisterns that we've created that we were once enslaved to. But what it does mean is that at every moment when you put your faith in Christ, you will have access to truly being satisfied in him, that you'll be able to come before him and worship. Guys, we all worship something. All of our lives are centered on something, focused on something to live for. Jesus is just trying to draw our eyes back in to see the only way that we can truly be satisfied. And this is the life that Jesus wants for you. He wants good for you. He wants you to flourish. And he went to the greatest extent to show you that though he knows you completely, he loves you fully. So that all you have to do is come to him. Let's pray. Father, we we are desperate for you. God, I feel in my own heart brokenness. I look at my own day today and see sin and, and brokenness in my life, and I just say again, Jesus, I need you. Would you forgive me? Would you help me to walk in the freedom of knowing you? I thank you for your gospel that you have provided a way for us to be made right with you, for us to be in relationship with you. Though we are so broken, God, we get to be back in relationship with you. And so I pray for anyone in this crowd who walked in here with any sort of spirit of, man, I don't measure up. I haven't spent any time in my Bible. How, how am, who am I to come into this room? God, would we throw all of that away and just be amazed at Jesus? Because Jesus took all of our shortcomings, took it to the cross, and paid the penalty for it so that we get to walk in a new freedom, so that we get to live in a new life, so that we can be truly satisfied, which is what we long to have happen. So Jesus, would you stir our affections for you right now? Would you cause us to worship you? Because you are worth it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.